Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, Sanctification, from our series, A Spirit-Filled Summer. If you have your Bible, 1 Thessalonians 3. During this Pentecost season, we've been studying about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, three weeks ago was Pentecost Sunday, and Pastor Q did a great job of preaching the, the, the quintessential passage of Acts 2 and unpacking that for us. The second Sunday of the season, we talked about having our roots in the river and what it means to live a life that is flourishing and fruitful for the kingdom of God and how the Holy Spirit will enable us to do that. The last couple, last Sunday, we began talking about the specifics, the nuts and bolts. How does the Holy Spirit work in our lives as believers? And we talked last Sunday about regeneration. Say that word with me regeneration. That is a word for being born again. And we talked about last Sunday that whenever we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes and implants new life into our hearts. He comes in when we hear the gospel and by the enabling of God's grace, we repent of sin and trust in Jesus. Jesus refers to this as being born again and a new life begins with a new birth. Well, today we're going to talk about another thing that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer, and that is sanctification. Say that word with me. Sanctification. Amen. Now, this is a word that's fallen on hard times in our denomination. Some of you in the room may not have a clue what the word means. Some of you may have a very um, odd idea of what it means from your upbringing, but I want us to find out what does the Bible say that it means today, and what can we believe God to do in our lives by the Holy Spirit's presence and His grace, amen? Years ago in the church of God, the standard testimony whenever a saint stood to her feet was, I thank God that I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the sweet Holy Ghost, a member of the great church of God, and on my way to heaven, amen? Amen. And then they would tell you what God had done in their life. But that was the standard line. You began your testimony with those words, or at least as far along as you had attained. Amen. Amen. And uh, you could pray through to the other ones in that service that night. Amen. But that was the testimony. I thank God I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. We live in a day where as Pentecostal Christians, in my opinion, we have all but lost our emphasis on this second great work of the Holy Spirit. We talk about being saved a lot, and Pentecostals talk about being spirit-filled or spirit-baptized a lot. But I want to tell you there was a time that our emphasis was on what I'm preaching about this morning, sanctifying grace. In fact, we were a holiness church that believed in being sanctified before we were a Pentecostal church that believed in being Holy Spirit-baptized. Well, what is the difference? Well, one of them opens the door to spiritual power and operating in the gifts, but sanctification is about our character, not our charisma. Amen? Saint, uh, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is about what God wants to do through me in ministry for others, but being sanctified is what God does in me by His grace to give me a heart that is like His Son's, the Lord Jesus. Amen? So, And the key passage, I believe, is the book of 1 Thessalonians. If there's a place in the Bible where you can hold this word up to the light and understand it, it is Paul's letter to the Thessalonians because the whole book is about this one big idea, being sanctified. Say sanctified. 
When the Spirit comes blowing into our lives, He brings conviction of sin. He awakens our dead heart to respond to the gospel. When we repent and trust Jesus, He brings the new birth and assurance of our sins, that our sins are forgiven. But that's just the beginning of His work. It's not the end. You, when you get saved, you haven't crossed the finish line. You've, you've arrived at the starting line of the Christian life. Amen? So it's just the beginning of all that God wants to do in us and through us. The Bible says in uh, 2 Thessalonians, if you look back in chapter 2, flip back one, one chapter, look at verse 13, you'll find these words over one book, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Hold your finger on 1 Thessalonians 3. That's where we'll camp most of the morning. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 13 says, But we ought to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Salvation is more than forgiveness. It's more than the new birth. Salvation is God's restoration project. Say restoration. Some of you love old cars. And you know what it takes. A couple of you know what it takes to rebuild and restore an old car. Some of you are like Shay and myself. You love old furniture, old houses. I can't fix a new car when it breaks down. I sure wouldn't want to restore an old one. Amen? Uh, but some of you love that kind of thing. There's something in us that we love restoration. Some of us will sit all day and watch the DIY channel or we'll watch HGTV as they restore things that have lost their luster and bring them back to usefulness again. Why does that resonate so deeply with us? I believe it is a symbol of salvation. God doesn't just rescue us and get us off the trash heap. God fully restores us by His grace to the image of God. And so being saved is a big word that means more than being forgiven and it means more than being born again. Salvation is such a big word, it can describe everything that happens from the moment I trust Jesus until the day that I step into heaven. That whole process of restoring that God does in me is sanctification. Amen. That whole work is wrapped up in this one word. From the new birth to glory, we are experiencing sanctifying grace. Amen? God wants to make us like Jesus. We lose our right standing with God, so Jesus died for our justification. Whenever Adam fell, we lost our spiritual life and connection to God, so Jesus rose from the dead to give us new life. But we also lost our moral likeness to God. And so Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to recreate the image of God in the heart of every Christian. Amen? So the gospel is Jesus died and Jesus rose and Jesus sent back the comforter. And you can't stop short and have a full gospel. Amen? All of that is the work of God. Jesus, when he got to heaven, he wasn't finished until he received of the Father the promise of the Spirit and poured him out on the church. And he sat down at the right hand of God. Amen. Jesus' work was done when the Holy Spirit came and he tagged him in like a relay runner. Jesus said, I've died, risen, ascended, and now I'm tagging in the Holy Ghost. And he's going to take the church from now to the rapture. And everything that is done in the world today through the church is done by the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Amen. And so you need to know and you need to be cooperating with the work of the Spirit in your life. Because Jesus and the Father are in heaven and he's going to be there until he comes back. But right now, the one who is God in this earth, who's acting and moving, is the Holy Ghost. Amen. So every Christian needs to be moving and walking and led in the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. Jesus died to remove sin's penalty. He rose to break sin's power. And he sent the Spirit back to cleanse us from sin's pollution and make us like himself. Ephesians 1 and 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Amen? Amen. So chapter 3, I want you to look with me at the word of the Lord today. Chapter 3, look down with me at verse 10, if you will. Chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse Verse 10, night and day we pray for you exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love one to another and to all just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And God's people said, amen. Many of us believe whenever we, whenever we become Christians that salvation or conversion dealt with our sin problem entirely. But after you've walked with Jesus a little while, you soon realize that isn't so. It isn't really the case. If you've been a Christian for a little while, you have felt the pull of your old nature coming back after you, haven't you? Some of you felt it in traffic on the way to church this morning, amen? Yeah, we feel it, don't we? Every once in a while, some part of our old man wants to rise up in us and we have to get him back on the cross and say, Lord, help me not to let him out of the cage, amen? Amen. I have a friend who pastors, his name is Don, and he said, I have to be careful and keep Dirty Don on the cross. Amen. Every once in a while, Dirty Don wants to show up. Well, you've, I've got a Dirty Dan, and you've got a Dirty whatever your name is. Amen. It's the flesh. It's the old man. It's the carnal nature, and it's there. And even though you became a Christian, it didn't disappear. Amen. Let me ask your spouse if it disappeared. <laughs> Let me ask your children if it went away. No, it didn't. It's still there. Now, by the grace of God, it doesn't have to run the show. Amen? The Holy Spirit is able to keep the flesh on the cross and Jesus on the throne, and we don't have to live under the dominion of our flesh. And that ability is called sanctifying grace. Amen? The grace of God that not only forgives me and makes me alive in God, but the grace that allows me to keep the flesh on the cross and Jesus on the throne is sanctifying grace. Amen? Say sanctification. It's to be set apart, to be cleansed, to be made holy, to partake of God's own life and nature. Amen? Now, some people, whenever they bump into this, they get discouraged. Many of us think, well, I'm saved. Sin doesn't have any effect on me at all anymore. But then all of a sudden, we walk with Jesus for a while, and we come to realize that a part of our old life survived our conversion and is still there. 
A teenager at youth camp one time said, Pastor, I feel like something's got me by the belt loop. And every time I go forward, it tries to pull me back. And I just don't know if I'm strong enough. And I said, well, sounds to me like you need to let the Lord break the belt loop. Amen? Amen. I hear people say, "Oh, an old timer used to pray, Lord, every morning I pray that you take your heavenly broom and sweep the cobwebs from my soul. And his pastor said, I got a better idea. Why don't you ask the Lord to take that broom and kill the spider? Amen. That is sanctifying grace. When we let the Lord deal with the root of the problem. You see, as Christians, we spend a lot of time breaking the heads off weeds and wondering why they keep coming back because we didn't deal with the root. Sanctification is when we let God strike a death blow at the root of our self-interest. Amen. Let's unpack that a little today as we get into God's Word. Some people look at the moment whenever they feel this pull back to the things of the world. And some Christians say, I must not really be saved. And they start to doubt their salvation. If I were, and the devil will jump on one shoulder and he'll accuse you. He'll tempt you on one side and then he'll accuse you on the other side. He'll put wrong thoughts in your mind and tempt you to do something. And then he'll get on the other shoulder and he'll say, if you were really a Christian... You wouldn't even think like that. If you were really saved, you wouldn't be considering an option like that. The devil is a liar. Being tempted is not a sin. And everyone is tempted. Well, what is this thing on the inside me that really wants to do that? That's your flesh. That's the thing you've got to learn how to get victory over by the grace of God. Amen. Amen. Some of us are like the lady who went shopping and she came home and she she'd maxed the credit card out and her husband said, "Baby, why did you do that? I can't you knew what kind of financial trouble we were in. How could you go and do this again?" And he said, "Why didn't you tell the devil to get behind you?" He said she said, "I did. I put on this great outfit and I got in the mirror and the devil said, "You ought to buy that." And she said, "I don't need to buy this. We can't afford this. Devil get behind me." And said, "Well, what happened?" Said he said it looked good from back there too. So I bought one in every color. <laughs> Amen. Sooner or later, we realize that our flesh is still very much present, even though we're saved. If you're here today and you're tempted by things from your old life, let me tell you something. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. The fact that you're fighting against it means that you are. Because before you met the Lord, you would have just given in and went and done whatever you wanted to do. But the fact that you're actually fighting against this and you don't want to do this is the evidence that you've been born again and there's a new desire in you and you really want to pull back and fight against it. You've been saved, but the question is, are you able to walk in victory over it? Are you able to stop caving into it? And the answer is, yes, God can help you do that. He can sanctify your heart. He can free you from this uncontrollable pull of the old things in your life. And just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're a Christian. You didn't struggle before you got saved. You did what you wanted to do. But now that you're saved, you're struggling. And so if you're tempted to go back to your old life, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It probably means you are. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It does mean you need to believe God for something more, something deeper, something stronger, something more effective. And that something has a name in the Bible that something is sanctifying grace. Lord, come and do a work in me so that I can keep the old man on the cross and Jesus on the throne. Amen? 
God's grace is able to do that for us. And it comes by a surrender and an act of faith. Amen. Other people, after a few failures, after they become a believer, they say, I'll never be able to live the Christian life. I'm not cut out for this. So they give up, they leave the church, they return to their old ways, and off they go. And some make it back and some don't, sadly. But I want to tell you today, you don't have to fall into that trap. There's more victory in Jesus than that. You can be free from the power of sin today. You can. Paul describes a group of people like I'm describing in the book of 1 Thessalonians. He says in the verse we read, verse 10, he says, I'm longing to come back to you so that I can perfect what is lacking in your faith, verse 10. I want to perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now that immediately raises the question, well, Paul, are you questioning their salvation? Do you believe that their faith isn't genuine? No, no, not at all. Paul knows their faith is genuine. In fact, Paul has bragged on the integrity of their faith. Say the integrity of of their faith. That's the first point today, the integrity of their faith. Paul is not writing to them because of their struggle and saying you're not Christians. He's absolutely persuaded that they are indeed born again. Uh, Listen, how do you know that? Chapter 1 verse 3, he brags on their work of faith, their labor of love, and their hope of patience. He tells them, you've been patient and hopeful, and I know that Jesus really does live inside of you. He says in verse 4, he, has, he knows their election is from God, and he has no doubt that God has called them to salvation. In chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, he said, you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, and that you are examples to all who believe. Now, that doesn't sound like he's describing somebody who's lost, does it? He's describing believers. And yet he says to them, and he says to them in chapter 3, Timothy has come back to me. He's brought the good news of your faith and love. He knew that their faith was real. He knew they really were Christians and that they had truly been born again. Paul himself had preached the gospel and planted the church in Thessalonica. He knew their faith was genuine. But trusting Jesus isn't the end, it's just the beginning. And so in chapter 3 he says, your faith is genuine, but there's something more you need to believe God for. You You who believed God for salvation, he says, now need to believe God for something deeper. What is that something? Well, notice the problem here. There is an imperfection about their faith. Say imperfection. It's not that their faith is untrue. It's that they haven't received everything God wants them to have yet. And I think this is a great problem in the day you and I live in. Because we live in a culture that has made being saved the finish line rather than the starting block. Do you hear me? It's like we celebrated when people get saved and say, oh, that's it. You've made it into the kingdom. Wonderful. Well, that is wonderful, and we ought to celebrate that. But basically what we're saying whenever you meet Jesus is you've arrived at the starting block of the Christian race. Now you've got to run the race. You've got to overcome the obstacles. You have to make it to the end. And he that endures to the end, the same will be saved, Jesus says. Hear me today. Even though we're born again... There's something deeper that needs to happen. What's the problem? Look at verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Look down a line. May he establish your hearts blameless in holiness. That's the two lines I want you to notice. May he make you increase and abound in love to one another. And then that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. 
Even though they're saved, their hearts are struggling with love and holiness. In chapter 4, he gets even more specific. Even though they've genuinely trusted Jesus, they're struggling with issues of self-control and self-interest. What do you mean? Number one, self-control. Say that with me. Self-control. In chapter 4, he addresses them in verse 3. It is the will of God that you should be sanctified. What does that look like? That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each one of you should learn how to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So are they saved? Yes. Do they have the Holy Spirit? In a measure, yes. He just said they do. But the problem is they're struggling with self-control. And Paul says God wants to do a work in your life. The will of God is that you be sanctified. How do you know that you're sanctified? You are able to control yourself when it comes to your appetites and your physical desires. This is the evidence. The evidence, the problem they're struggling with is self-control. This is often the first place where a Christian is forced to admit after they're saved that something is still not right, that there's still a problem, that there's still unsurrendered ground in my heart that needs to be dealt with and brought back to the cross. It may be an ongoing struggle with pornography. It may may be the temptation to cross the line sexually with someone that you're dating. It may be a completely internal struggle with lustful thoughts that you never talk about openly, but you know that you wrestle and they're there and they're continuous for you. It may be some other area of self-control. It may not manifest sexually for you. It may show up in another area. It may be overeating. It may be compulsive spending, like that sister I talked about a minute ago, amen? It may be drinking to excess. It may be any number of things. But the reality is, sooner or later, every Christian finds themselves struggling with some fleshly issue that alerts them something is not right in my heart. Something deeper has got to happen. If I don't deal with this, if I don't get this thing to the cross, if God doesn't help me and give me some grace, this thing is going to get the upper hand in my life. And it's going to snuff out my growth in the things of God. Amen? Do you hear me? Either the flesh is going to be brought into union with the cross. There's only two places for the flesh in your life. On the cross or on the throne. Do you hear me? The flesh is like that. It's not going to settle just to be somewhere in the middle. Amen? It's just not going to work. It's either going to take over your life or you're going to have to, by grace through faith, get your flesh on the cross with Jesus where it's not calling the shots anymore. Amen? And that's what sanctifying grace is. Amen. Let's talk about it. Self-control, it's an issue. If you have a struggle like that that describes your life, you might be bumping into your own unsurrendered heart. Self-interest is the second area. Say self-interest. Their self-interest problem manifested itself in a couple of ways. Verses 9 to 12. Now about your love for one another, 
we do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge your brothers and sisters to do so more and more. Say more and more. What is Paul saying? Do you love one another? Well, of course, all Christians have love. We studied that last Sunday. One of the marks of the new birth is you love God's family. But let's be honest. Many of us, we love God's people, but there's a narrowness about our love. There are constraints on our love. There's a shallowness about our love. There are great limits on that love that we have for one another. We often feel inconvenienced when we actually have to act in love toward somebody. We say we love them, but whenever that love inconveniences us or requires us to go out of our way, or let's be honest, when it gets in our pocketbook, Amen? All of a sudden, we feel the narrowness of our love. And Paul says, I'm telling you, God wants to do a work in your heart where you deeply, genuinely, overflowingly love one another. Where you abound in love. That was the word a few verses ago, right? God didn't want us just to love. He wants us to abound in love. Why do we not abound in love? Because we're afraid. We're afraid that if we love like that, we're going to get hurt. We're afraid if we give like that, we're not going to have enough left over to take care of ourselves. We are self-interested. I didn't say we're selfish. Maybe some of us are. But listen, I'm talking about something a little more subtle than that. Another thing he talks about is the issue of laziness. Say laziness. Self-interest often shows up in this area of life where I'm really not willing to be all in. I'm not willing to put myself completely out there in some area. Verse 11, he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Even though they loved one another, their love was narrow and shallow. It didn't abound There was a stinginess about their care for one another. They had trouble minding their own business. They spent too much time talking about other people in the church. Listen, when you find somebody who's always in a bunch of drama and they're always in other people's business, Pastor, does that mean they're not saved? I didn't say that. It does probably mean they're not sanctified. Their heart's not fully surrendered to the Lord. Because when your heart is under the control of the Holy Spirit... You'll keep your nose out of other people's business and you'll keep your tongue off other people's character. Amen. A heart that is pure and clean will manifest itself in these two ways. They had trouble with this. There was a form of laziness among them. Some of the people at Thessalonica heard Jesus was coming back, so they quit their jobs and stayed home and said, The Lord's coming. We don't need to work anymore. And then they ran out of their savings money, and they started going to their fellow believer in the church saying, Hey, we, we don't have any more money. We don't have any more food. Can you front me some money? You know, the Lord's coming back soon. Well, Paul wrote them back and said in 1 Thessalonians 4, The Lord is coming back soon. But you don't know when he's coming back exactly. And you might want to eat between now and then. So you need to go back to work and get a job. Amen. I have people come to the door of the church all the time and knock on the door. Pastor, can you help us? Yes, we can help. We can help. But we're not going to take you to raise. There's a difference. We're going to help you. And then we're going to help you get on your feet. 
We're going to do everything we can to help get you to a place where you're not needing to be dependent on someone else. And whatever that means, if that means a job or that means finding other ways to get you the assistance and support you need, we're going to do that. And by God's grace, we've been able to do that for some friends. And it's a wonderful thing when you can, instead of giving a handout, give somebody a leg up and they can begin to stand and they can begin to come out of that place of poverty. And you watch God bless and they begin to advance and move forward. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. It's the lift of the gospel. And that's what we ought to be pushing toward. Amen? So Paul says laziness is a sign something is wrong. Their hearts were contaminated by an overall attitude of self-interest. Say self-interest. They were failing to become the tight-knit loving community a church ought to be. They were self-absorbed and self-centered and self-focused. Do you find this true about your own heart? You care about your church, but you feel a narrowness about it, unwilling to sacrifice for your friends or members of your family. Anytime you do serve or give, you do it begrudgingly. It pains you to be inconvenienced. You might be stumbling over your own unsurrendered heart this morning. Well, let me land the plane this morning. Notice the intended goal of their faith. Say the goal. Let's review. Paul said, I know the integrity of your faith. There's no doubt in my mind, Paul says, that you really are saved. He said, but there's an imperfection in your faith. And he said, I know it because you struggle with love and self-control. And he said, these are indicators that even though the Holy Spirit is in you, he doesn't have control of you. Did you hear me? Even though the Holy Spirit is present in you, he doesn't have full control. He's not driving the train. The flesh is still very much alive and active in your life. And Paul says God wants to do something about that. And that something is he wants to sanctify your heart. Amen. Can God really do something about this? Yes, he can. Chapter 5, verse 23. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Amen. Amen. Go go ahead and pull that up. Chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Right there. I want you to read it out loud with me. Because I know some of you don't believe what I'm preaching this morning. So I want you to know that I didn't say it. Paul did. You can argue with Paul when you get to heaven. Amen. Read it out loud with me. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Will he do it? He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. Well, pastor, you believe in entire sanctification because you like John Wesley and that's what he preached. I believe in entire sanctification because I believe the authority of the Bible and that's what Paul preached and I just read it to you. It's a divine work. Say a divine work. May the God of peace himself do this. You can't do this for yourself. You can't fix what's broken in you. You can try willpower. You can try accountability. You can try all kind of stuff that you want to try. But the flesh will always find a way to worm around any barrier you set for it. The flesh is not subject to the law of God. Indeed, it cannot be, the Bible says. What works? Well, laws don't work. Rules don't work. What works? The Holy Ghost works. I'll tell you what works. The Spirit of God having control in your life. He's the only one who can give you victory over the flesh. And as you trust in Christ and surrender, Render to the Holy Spirit, he's able to give you victory over your own life. That's the only way you and I will ever enjoy this. A heart that is empowered to resist the pull of the flesh. A heart that's set free from self-interest. A heart that abounds in love for other people. A heart that is established blameless in holiness. is something that only God can create in us. 
The Lord can create a perfect heart. David prayed it. Oh Lord, renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. God can do that. God will do that for us. It's not something we produce by trying harder, making more rules, or increasing our level of discipline. Sure, those things will be required, but just like being justified, being sanctified is a gift. It's a grace gift. It's something that we receive at the foot of the cross when we trust in the work of Jesus and his blood. It's by grace through faith in his death and resurrection. Everything you get in salvation comes by the cross. Everything you get in salvation comes by the blood. Not only your justification, but your sanctification. Amen? Amen. It comes by the blood of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. It's a divine work, but number two, it's a complete work. Say complete. May he sanctify you completely or wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y. God wants to sanctify my whole spirit, soul, and body, he says. Does that mean I won't grow in grace once he sanctifies my heart? No, there's growth before and after you get sanctified. But when you come to a place, you come to a place where you can't grow any further until you let Jesus deal a death blow to your self-interest. You hit this glass ceiling that you can't break until the Spirit of God gets your flesh on the cross. Amen. Listen, sanctification is more about purity than it is maturity. Did you hear me? I'm talking about purity, not maturity. Well, pastor, you think somebody just becomes a mature Christian by one trip to the altar. I didn't say that. There's a difference between being a mature Christian and being a pure Christian. A green tomato is not ripe. But that doesn't mean it had to have bug bites all over it. I'm not saying God's going to turn you from a green tomato to a red tomato. I'm saying God's going to kill the tomato bug. God's going to stop the thing that keeps biting on you and blemishing you and tarnishing your witness. I'm not asking you to believe God to ripen you overnight. I'm asking you to let God kill the bug today. Amen. He will sanctify you. He will deal with this thing that keeps contaminating your heart and pulling you back towards your old life. Let him deal with that today. Let him get that old man on the cross. Well, I just don't believe he'll do that. Well, Paul believed he would. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 5, 24 says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified their flesh with its affections and lusts. Salvation is when I see Jesus on the cross. Sanctification is when I join Jesus on the cross. Have you joined Jesus on the cross today? That's the question. Are you crucified with him? Have you nailed your flesh there by faith in the Son of God? Mm -hmm. Salvation is when I give somebody a key to the front door of my house. Come on in. You're welcome to come into my house. You're welcome to come in. I give you a front door key. But you see, I got some rooms and some closets that are locked. And I've got a vault you don't know the combination to. And I've got this and that and the other, right? 
Sanctification is when you look at Jesus and say, I know I gave you a front door key, but today, Lord Jesus, I'm handing you the ring. There's not an attic you can't crawl through. There's not a closet you can't open. There's not a door you can't unlock. Everything, every part, surrender. Jesus, take the key ring. Go through my life. Go through every part. Anything that's not like you, put your finger on it, and I'll get rid of it. Anything you want to move around, move it. Anything you want to add, add it. Anything you want to take, take it. Jesus, I'm giving you the key ring. I'm not asking you if you're saved. I know you gave Jesus a front door key. I'm asking you, does he have the whole ring today? And say, are you saved? I said, are you surrendered? Have you yielded your heart? Have you joined him? Have you died to your way? Well, pastor, you think sanctification means all my issues are dealt with. No, it means none of my issues are off the table. It means I'm not making excuses for my issues anymore. I'm not hiding my issues anymore. I'm not playing games with my issues anymore. Before my heart was sanctified, Jesus comes to me and points out something, and I say, oh, Lord, I can explain. But after your heart is sanctified and surrendered to God, when the Lord peels back a layer of the onion and shows you something about yourself that you never saw before, your answer is, oh, Lord, I repent. Lord, I see it. I see it. I've never seen it, but you've shown it to me now. It's in the light. I'm aware of it, and Lord, I won't hold on to it. Lord, I don't make excuses for it. I'm not trying to explain it. I'm not trying to find a way to hold on to it. Lord, if you say that's not like you, Lord, if you peel back that layer of my character and you put your finger on it and you say, I've come for this now, then I say, Lord, it's yours. When Jesus says, can I go there? Can I touch you there? Can I fix that? Can I address this? The answer of a sanctified heart is Lord I already said yes I'm not going to fight you I'm not going to argue with you being sanctified doesn't mean all my issues are dealt with being sanctified means I gave up the right to fight with God about them anymore are you sanctified is your heart yielded are you surrendered is your flesh on the cross does Jesus have the keys not the front door the whole ring Stand with me all over the house of God. I feel the presence of God this morning. Some of you understand what I'm talking about today because some of you live every day of your Christian life with what the Bible calls in the Old Testament a divided heart. David says, unite my heart. David says, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Ezekiel says, he says, I will give them an undivided heart. I will give them a spirit. I will take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in them and they'll keep my commandments. It's a sustained work today. He'll preserve you blameless till the coming of the Lord. It didn't say he'd make you blameless when he came. He said he'd keep you blameless until he got here. You can surrender your life today and you can begin to walk in blamelessness toward the Lord. What does blameless mean? Blameless does not mean angelically perfect. Blameless means the parts of my life that God has brought into the light. Say the light. I'm going to walk in the light as he's in the light. Does being sanctified mean that there's things that are I've still got to grow in? Absolutely. Does a surrendered heart mean that God has dealt with all my issues? Not at all. There are things in me he hadn't even got to yet. There are things other people see in me that I haven't seen in me yet. But as I walk with Jesus, sooner or later he'll get to that and he'll peel back the layer of the onion. He'll show me, either in his word or probably in the mirror of my wife, (laughs) that it is true. And I won't be able to hide from it anymore. He'll show me and he'll say, Daniel, is this mine? Can I deal with that? 
And a sanctified heart is a heart that says, Lord, I already said yes. I already said yes. I close with this illustration and we'll pray. One of my great friends and professors, Dr. John Oswalt, said this is what it means to have a heart that's surrendered. He said, the night that I yielded my heart fully to the Lord as a believer and allowed God to sanctify my heart, set it apart as His, not mine anymore. The night that I let God do that, he said, here's what it looked like. God handed me a sheet of paper, and at the top of the page it said, I, John Oswalt, do give the Lord all the following things. He said, and the sheet was blank, and at the bottom was a place for me to sign and date my name. He said, and I signed it and I dated it. And he said, you know what, I was a young man, there wasn't a lot on that list. He said, but one day I had gotten married, and I had bought a nice house, and the Lord tapped on me and said, I want you to go back to school. And you're going to have to sell the house in order to do that. And I said, but Lord. And he said, and he said, is this your name? Yes, Lord. And all of a sudden, my house was on that list. And he pointed at the bottom. He said, did you sign this? He said, yes, I did. He said, did you mean it? He said, yes, I did. He said, do you still mean it? Yes, Lord, I still mean it. Then put a sign on the house. Okay, Lord. He said, one day I watched as one of my children got called into the ministry. And if that wasn't bad enough, they came and said, I'm going on the mission field. And I said, oh, no, Lord, I don't want my baby to go across the ocean somewhere to preach the gospel. And he said, and the Lord pulled out that piece of paper, and all of a sudden, my baby's name was on that list. And the Lord said, John, is that your name at the bottom of this? And he said, yes, Lord, it is. He said, is that date correct? He said, it it was. He said, did you mean it? He said, I did. He said, do you still mean it? He said, I still do. I still do. Then she's mine, not yours. Give her over. Lay your hands on her. Put her on a plane. And he said, as my life went on, my empty list has slowly filled up step by step. And at every point, I have an opportunity to pull back. He said, but a sanctified heart is a heart that every time God comes and adds something to the list, he says, is this your name and do you mean it? A sanctified heart is a heart that says, yes, Lord, I did and I still do. I did and I still do. Is your heart surrendered today? Has there ever been a moment when you gave God the whole key ring? Has there ever been a moment when you fully surrendered? Because as you go through life, the list is going to fill up. And he's going to point to the bottom of the page and say, Did you mean it? And do you still mean it? And the way that I know God has sanctified my heart is when I can look at him and say, I meant it, and I still do. Is that you today? Or are you still caught in the struggle of a heart that's divided? You know you're saved. But self-interest drives the train much of the time. Do you hear me? It's okay. You don't have to be embarrassed. This is not a condemning sermon. This is a sermon of hope. This is a message that tells you by the grace of God, God can take that old flesh and put him on the cross with Jesus. And you can walk out of here with a heart that has Jesus on the throne, not self on the throne. That's the message. Well, pastor, how in the world does that happen? Same way you got saved. You come to the cross and say, Jesus, there's a part of me that is trying to run the show that is not of you. My old sinful nature, my old heart is trying to wreck my walk with you. Lord, I can't fix it. I've tried. It it, it won't submit. It's unruly. I'm not able to tame it. I'm no match for it. Lord Jesus, by your grace, can you do something with my heart? Can you who washed my heart when I got saved? Can you who forgave me? Can you who implanted new life in my heart? Can you set my heart free from this laziness and stinginess and self-interest and lack of self-control? Jesus, can you do something in me? You mean establish your heart blameless in holiness? Yeah. You mean give you a heart that abounds in love? Yeah. You, You mean sanctify you 
completely? You mean give you a whole spirit, soul, and body that loves the Lord with all its heart and loves its neighbor as itself? Yeah, Lord, that, that, that. He says, yes, yes, I can. How do you know? Faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. The Lord will do what I preached about today. What do you have to do? Surrender and believe him today. Come to the altar and say, Lord, I'm surrendering everything to you. And I who gave you the front door key at salvation am now giving you the whole key ring. And I'm inviting you, go through my life, unlock every door and have your way. The reason some people can never be filled with the Holy Spirit is because they're too full of themselves. You can't be full of self and full of the Holy Spirit at the same time. What I'm talking about today is let the Holy Spirit get self on the cross and then he can fill you up with himself. Amen? But this is the next step. Give God the key ring. Sign the letter. Do you mean it? Did you mean it? Do you still? Every heart bowed. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I've done my best to explain this idea from 1 Thessalonians in a way that all of us can get our heads around. I pray, God, that you will just seal it to our hearts. I pray that, God, you would help someone in this room today to get a grip on the idea that even though I'm a Christian, something deeper has got to happen. Lord, there's got to be a place of surrender and wholehearted giving myself over to you. So, Jesus, I pray in this room this morning, if there's even one person who would say, I'm a Christian, but my heart is not surrendered. There's so much unyielded ground this narrowness of my love, there's this stinginess, there's this laziness, there's this tendency to create drama and make things all about me. And and Lord, I, I want you to get that on the cross with yourself. And I want you to set my heart free to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to live a life that's under your control. And Lord, today I'm ready to make that shift. I'm ready to come and surrender my heart. Lord, in Jesus' mighty name, I pray that you'd move in the hearts of your people. In his name, God's people said. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to give you a chance to come and pray. You don't need a lot of people prodding and pulling on you today. You know your heart. And if you need to come and take a moment and say, Lord, I'm just coming to surrender. I'm just coming to take a moment in prayer to hand you the keys and say, Lord, will you do this work in my life? I invite you quietly and humbly to come and find a place to pray. We'd love to pray with you this morning. There's an opportunity this morning. The Lord will meet you as he promised. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.